Hi, welcome to BA Brew. I'm Jonathan. Hi, I'm Ali. Hi, I'm Debbie. Today, we're going to talk about systems thinking and how it relates to business analysis. And this is a subject that I was talking about with Ali just a few weeks ago. Ali, to get us started, would it be useful for, to, for you to tell us a little bit about your background and why it is that you're interested in and passionate about systems thinking? Sure. Uh, so my background is, like most BAs, probably a bit of a, um, a journey, how you ended up being a, a business analyst. But I was a research scientist for many years. And um, through that, through that biological thinking, you do have to think about the whole system, not just the individual components of um, in my field, drug development, you had to kind of um, think about the wider system and the impacts of what you were creating and what you were developing. And segueing into becoming a business analyst, I see an organization very much in the same way as I'd see an organism. It's a system of components that need to work together. If you make an intervention and you change something, that's going to have a ripple effect, positive or negative. So I've brought that thinking systems biology into the systems thinking about my BA work um, and I work for a charity called Parkinson's UK uh, there's a lot of change to do a lot of modernization of the charity and we're acutely aware of the unintended consequences of the interventions we're making whether that's service design or uh, operationally in the background so mm. it's really important for the work that we do. Wow. Well, so I'm fascinated about that, that bit of background because you were saying um, that you were looking at the drug intervention so a drug intervention I don't know that to help someone recovering from I don't know, a problem with their liver might cause an impact on their respiratory system or another mm -hmm. element of their body and, and then thinking about that as an analogy for how does a business system work and operate I, I think there's a there's a lot of overlap there um Debbie do you see that I presume you, you see the correlations um between the two yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I remember when I first encountered systems thinking, which was, gosh, quite a long time ago, and and looking at it. And um, one of the first books that I looked at was um, Chetland's Soft Systems um, Methodology book, Systems Thinking, Systems Practice, it's called. And interestingly, one of the types of systems he talks about are natural systems, which are, you know, the human body and the systems within the human body. So it completely ties into what Ali's saying. But I just found the whole way of looking at the world through the sort of systems mindset and the systems view absolutely fascinating because too often you see things, I don't know, announced as legal changes say or changes that are going to affect a business um, or just things that happen in the environment and you know that the organizations then have to respond to that in some way and sometimes these changes can have completely unexpected consequences and sometimes completely opposite consequences mm. and one of the ones I often think about is target setting um, where targets are set and then the, the complete opposite happens because actually the target itself becomes the focus and it's almost like almost like the system fights back. Does that make sense, Sally? I think there's definitely something about the universe and every every action has an equal or opposite reaction. It's, hmm. it's energy moved. I'm getting a bit philosophical here, probably. Um, everything you do has a ripple effect and you don't know what it's going to be because 
our projects, our products, our organizations don't exist in a vacuum. Everything's interconnected. Hmm. So how on earth can our human brains um, model that and understand it before we've actually made that intervention? Hmm. Um, and so that's, that's another analogy of that with science is you base things on models and they're imperfect by nature. And we do a lot of modeling in business analysis, don't we? We try and represent the organization so that we can explain what's happening and what might need to change. But those models are imperfect. And so when it comes to implementation of something, that's when you really see how interconnected everything is. Um, so and there are examples across any sector all over the world about, about systems thinking. So as, as you were both talking and talking about your backgrounds in systems thinking, when you first came across it, I was trying to think, when did I first come across it? And I think I first came across it when learning about causal loop diagrams. Um, when I was studying business, um, I was doing an MSc, and I, I don't think the lecturer mentioned systems thinking, but the causal loop diagrams, he was very, very passionate about them. It was as if um, they were the only modelling technique that was of any worth for anyone. Um, he was really passionate about them. I remember drawing them and, and thinking they were interesting. Um, but then systems thinking, I'm not sure. So, Debbie, you taught me business analysis essentials, as it would have been, rather than business oh. analysis practice. And you obviously, you know, talked to us, to us as a group about Checkland and Catwo. Oh. Um, but I'm not sure if you would have used the word systems or systemic thinking as you as you introduce the subject, but it's kind of a soft introduction. But I I don't think I'd see those as they were, they were formally when I first learned systems thinking. I think I've come across it because I see systems and, and I'll share, for example, going into the healthcare system with a relative, a loved one and seeing systems where there's a cause and effect and, and there seems to be very strange relationships and, and bits of the system not working and um, it's um, and some working exceptionally well as well. So the, the positives and it's kind of work, well, why is this part of the system functioning really well? And why is this part of the system not working quite so well? And then through study and dialogue and, and I've done quite a lot of reading and I've had Checkland's book out just in the last few weeks, looking at his definitions of systems. And um, it's it's quite interesting going back to it as well. Um, but I, I, I kind of think that maybe you know, it would be useful for all BAs to have an introduction to systems thinking quite early in their career um, to help them build that mindset of thinking about cause and effect and relationships and looking out for the unintended, unintended consequences um, when changes happen. Um, so which brings me on to mindset. Um, do you think systems thinking is a mindset? Do you think it can be learned? Um, what's your thoughts? And I'll go to Ali if that's okay. Mm. Um, I'm not sure, actually, if I'm honest, mm. because I think a lot of BA skills are innate for a person, mm -hmm. can't necessarily all be taught. They can be trained, but there's some people have a natural aptitude for being able to be in the weeds and the detail and then bring themselves out and see the whole. Yeah. And that's really hard to learn. Um, I think what I, the, in terms of a mindset, what I'm probably looking for is someone who can um, catastrophize a little, I think is how I'd describe it. Being able to think this thing we're going to implement here and change here, what is the worst that could happen mm. and how does it all fit together? Um, again, I think that's probably a personality trait. Mm. Um, 
that a lot of us probably identify with. And I think it's important, not everybody thinks like that, and that's important. It's the same with thinking about reductionist thinking. Being able to focus on something really particular and solve that problem is just as valid as it is to be able to think about the bigger picture mm. to work together. So I don't know the answer to your question, but I, I, I think only through experience and um, practical examples will you be able to see whether you can do it or not? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. <laughs> I'll pass that one over. Consequence. Whether or not that frustrates our colleagues that we work with, because we're thinking ahead and trying to think, well, if you, X equals Y and it could equal this outcome, that might be really annoying for someone that hasn't got that mindset and thinks that you're being a blocker or doing analysis paralysis, possibly. What do you think, Debbie? I think it's quite interesting because I think that this is where systems thinking to me, when I first encountered it, I thought this is exactly where I think business analysis thinking should go in terms of having it within our our range of abilities and toolkit, if I put it that way. For me, it's quite interesting because one of the things that was very prevalent back then was what is sometimes called mechanistic or systematic thinking, mm -hmm. which is basically here are the steps and as long as I follow them, I will end up somewhere successful, which is a way of thinking that I don't really go with very often because inevitably if you all you're doing is following steps, you are missing the things that are changing around you, mm -hmm. which is where I think systems thinking can be so powerful. But I also do agree that in the BA toolkit, I mean, two of my favorite techniques are scenario analysis and impact analysis. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say you can predict every scenario and it's not to say you can predict every impact, but at least you're thinking about it. And this is where I think having that ability, that mindset to think about the different factors at play. I mean, you, you mentioned, Ali, the components that are interacting to think about those components interacting, to think about it's within an environment that has its own changes going on that are going to impact upon whatever it is you're looking at. I think the ability to think about that and to think through the different possibilities is a real strength for business analysts. So that's why I think having that sort of ability to think systemically gives you something extra as an analyst. Mm. So Can it be taught? Well, did I? I don't know, Jonathan, actually. I'm like Ali. Can it be taught? I think it can be something that can that people can suddenly have one of those um, light bulb moments where they see something slightly different. But I do think some people love the comfort blanket of step by step and therefore it takes them completely out of their comfort zone. Yeah, you've got to you've got to want to be able to think like that and and to be able to think about the whole and the elements that are interacting. Um, what about reductionist thinking then? Um, you might argue that I suppose that it's, a, it's the opposite of systemic thinking. Uh, is there a place for reductionist thinking? Debbie, could you explain to the audience what reductionist thinking is? It's simply taking something and breaking it into its constituent parts and looking at the parts. And yeah, there's definitely a place for that because sometimes we do have to look at the parts and 
but it, it's then that case of being able to see how it interacts and fits together and look at the whole again. The problem is when people just look at the parts and stop there and think that's going to fix everything because inevitably it doesn't because there's always that knock-on impact that you're not thinking about then mm. but there's there's definitely a place for it yeah right. I mean if you think of medicine back to some of um, Ali's comments there are places for you know looking at an individual thing mm. I think okay. it, it, there's so many examples in healthcare to draw upon um and in, in service pathways as well, especially Parkinson's UK are very interested in service design and mm. connecting with the NHS and creating referral pathways for people to support them. Um, when you use a reductionist approach, as you said, Debbie, you break it down and this plays back into our mindset as human beings. We can't digest really complex situations. We have to break it down and it's part of our method of problem solving. Um, what's that individual problem statement we're going to work on? And then we'll test some solutions against it. And hey, we've got a great solution. Let's let's release it. And, and there it is. The problem there is it, you've removed all of the surrounding environment that it operates in. And then you don't know what's going to happen until it's out there. So there's a really good example with malaria, um, a specific location where, okay, how are we going to reduce the incidence of malaria in this location? Oh, we're going to give them... Um, Stop them getting bitten by giving them mosquito nets. What a great solution. Reality was when you implement that, the local population, the local context, then used those nets, bed nets for fishing instead. They didn't use them to protect themselves because they had other needs that weren't considered in context that wasn't evaluated when you broke that problem down into its smaller parts. So I think it's really important to zoom in and break down problems, but we don't exist in a vacuum. There's so many interactions to think about. So we have to have people who are able to really focus on something. But then business analysts, this is where I think they can excel, is then take everybody back out for a moment and think, well, how is this going to work in the real world? Yeah. So I wonder, as you're talking now, a brilliant example, Ali, as to whether or not that's where design thinking can come in to look at the concept, prototype it, test and evaluate it in the real world context. So you can learn from those feed that feedback, those unintended consequences, and that the two together can be, you know, more powerful than one on its own. I think I think so. And user-centered design is is fundamental to all of the work we do, especially in the charity world. We're here to support people and um, in our communities. There's there are some elements that again we we sway into more reductionist thinking, so like personas. We love to categorize things, but that's reductionist. Mm -hmm. A person is not that persona. A person is so much more than the, uh, the data category that we have in our database and we're complex. So yeah. to create a service or a product for someone, for a customer, they're not just one label. They're, they're, they're a whole system of data and, and interactions in their lives that we need to think about. So I think they, I think we need to work closely with user-centered design and be the that healthy tension and balance between between the two yeah yeah and um, as you talk about personas and, and being a possible you know way of thinking in a reductionist way i think about user stories and the uh, popularity of them I'd, I'd suggest in recent years they're one of the most most sorry widely used 
requirements um, techniques. I just think that they, they maybe offer a little bit of a comfort blanket for some practitioners um, towards the reductionist, which th there is a place for it, but we've got to see the big picture as well. And, and I think there's other tools, other techniques that can help you see the bigger picture um, much more than you will ever get from a, a user story. And I, I, it, it does worry me a little bit about that trend and the, the prevalence and the popularity of user stories. They're brilliant as, to, as a technique on their own, but they don't encourage that, that bigger picture view in, in my world uh, or view anyway. Um, there be any thoughts on that? It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think, I think you have to sort of guard against what I call fragmentation. Mm. And fragmentation is where you understand a lot of bits, but you don't see them working together. Mm. And I do worry that sometimes it is very easy to veer into a fragmented view of anything and sometimes to make assumptions around a fragmented view as well that aren't tested. And then when it has to work as a whole, it doesn't work because that sort of more systemic, you know, holistic view hasn't been taken. And I think user stories is an example of a technique that used on its own could lead to quite a fragmented view. Mm. Whereas if you combine it with other techniques and if you understand the dangers of fragmenting too far and then not pulling it back together, I think it runs risks, but I think if it's used in context and alongside other techniques, then I think it has a place to yeah. actually, you know, play in the analysis work that we do. So it's everything is in context to me. I mean, you know, it, everything I, I if, if I'm asked, what, I always think, well, it does depend on the context. You know? <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big context person. <laughs> And personas are interesting as well, you see, as another technique to me, because I really like personas, but I understand them for what they are. And that's the key thing with anything, isn't it? User stories, personas, you know, data models. And it comes right back to what Ali said right at the start, that it's always going to be a bit imperfect. You know, it's, it's a sort of a certain representation but it's never going to be whole and complete because mm. you can't know everything and there's just too much diversity. Mm. That's my take on it. Wow. I, I'm thinking Ed, about ego and whether or not, you know, we need, we need to admit to ourselves that we don't have all the answers and that we need to explore and find out and collaborate and, and test and learn comes in for me. But, you know, if you've got a big ego and you, you think you do know the answers and you do know the precise cause and effects of everything, that, that could be a real barrier, particularly for if you've got someone that's happy to explore without the ego and they're working with someone who's got a really big ego and does say, well, this is where we're going and this is what we're going to do and, and don't worry about the consequences. It could be quite challenging for some VAs out there. Um, Ali, have you come across that at all? I think we've got a role and a responsibility as a business analyst in an organization to provide assurance around a project. I, I don't know anyone else in a project roles who'd be doing that apart from us in terms of thinking about other projects, other programs that are in flight and mm. building those relationships between them. Um, so yeah, I have I have seen that and it and it <laughs> you often you know become the bad person in the room, the naysayer who comes in and says, hang on a second, we need to, we need to think about this a bit more detail or 
um, if you this is a really good idea. And if you do this, this will be the impact and consequences down the line. You know, we don't want to create a monster for the organization. So what's really important to encourage is that that um, safe um, sandbox experimentation area where you're not impacting anything else, but you can um, you can model it and see how it would work. You can test with real users and see what they when all those requirements and user stories come together what actually happens, what people actually do with the thing that you've built and spent a lot of money on. So you do have to put the brakes on sometimes, and that doesn't always go down well when you know, the vision and, and the timeline's already in someone's mind. But another, apart from assurance, I think it's a BA's integrity to, part of their integrity to flag and do the right thing, not the easy thing for our work. It's a really principal part of our practice. So have I, have I experienced that? Yes. And but I wouldn't be able to sleep very well if I hadn't, you know. Yeah, you've got the integrity of being a professional. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Debbie, what do we need to add to our, our discussion on systems thinking? What, what have we missed? This has been such an interesting conversation for me because it's made my brain zing off in about a million different directions every time you or Ali say something I think oh yes there's that as well <laughs> which I guess is the essence of systems thinking really isn't it because it is it is the world getting bigger and bigger but you know one of the things that really struck me from from what you both just said was I always used to say I don't believe analysis is a solitary activity okay I believe analysis works so much better when there's a team collaborating or a small small group mm. collaborating and the reason for that is because i don't know everything and you don't know everything but together we might find most things mm. and that that to me is really what it's about it's about understanding that there are so many variables we can't control them all we can only sort of work with our best toolkit to really try our best. But if we collaborate, I think we can achieve a lot more. And I think systems thinking and that view of the world really helps with that. So that's my sort of Brilliant. final thoughts, I think. Brilliant. Ali, anything that you want to add as a final thought on systems thinking? I think I totally agree with all that Debbie said there. We're not alone in this. And... Um, computers may be able to model really complex multivariate data sets all at the same time, but we can't. And so absolutely bringing in everyone's perspectives that we can within the timeframes that we have and the scope that we have to make a best recommendation or decision mm. and being really honest with our stakeholders that this is all the information we have available and this is the, the best decision we can make at the time. And then being ready after that to monitor and track any consequences if we do need to make adjustments afterwards, that's, that's all you can do. Yeah. So I'm not sure what I can add. I, I just want to mention, though, knowledge. We've got to capture, retain, and then be able to retrieve knowledge so that we can learn lessons from other people that maybe tried something similar in the past and, 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 and not repeat the same errors, maybe, as organisations, as change initiative. I, I do think there's a big place for knowledge and us harnessing the knowledge in us you know, supporting ourselves and other change professionals in being able to think systemically. Um, but that's my final thought. I just want to say, Ali, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really interesting 
and having this discussion this brew with you um, and and debbie thanks for joining us as well um thanks everyone for listening and watching um if you've got any ideas for future podcasts or would even like to join us as ali has today on the podcast itself please do email us at babrew at thank you